Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text is Luke chapter 2. It's a lengthy one, some good stuff in it, not as long as yesterday's. So let's dig in. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, 
She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. When the feast was ended as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. So today's text for us is going to be really the life of Jesus prior to his his three-year ministry. Um, which will start in tomorrow's text in Luke chapter 3. So what you're looking at in chapters 1 and 2 is the first 30-plus years of Jesus' life, if you include, you know, roughly 30 years outside the womb, plus the nine months in the womb that we've covered so far. It's moving quick through key events. The thing that might be good to talk about with your children, I said yesterday, let them tell you the story. Well, do that again today. Let them tell you the story of Jesus' birth. Where was he born? When was he born? Who was there at the time of his birth? Who came to visit him after his birth? See what kind of things that they can teach you and tell you about the birth of Jesus. And then, when you read the text together, finesse their answers a little bit. You know, God gently guide them and teach them and what the scriptures teach. Because so many of the things that we think of the Christmas story aren't actually what the Bible says, but have been popularized over time. So let's take a look. Now, Luke's a historian. He's going to give us historical details. We'll see several of those tomorrow in chapter 3. Caesar Augustus is the head of the Roman Empire at the time. Um, We're also still in the days of King Herod, which we noted yesterday were 37 BC to 4 BC. Quirinius is governor of Syria. This is the one that causes some trouble um, at the time that we're we're dating um, the text. And, and Herod and such. Quirinius isn't the known governor of Syria until a few years later, um, but he was a military man and an important in the region at the time. So how exactly that fits in is a little less helpful than some of the other details have been to this point. It is possible that Quirinius was in a high enough military position of leadership in that region and that we can consider this, even though normally people try and put Quirinius' governorship and census to 6 AD, which is long after Jesus had already been born. I mean, 
you're getting close to his temple appearance at 12 years old at that point. He'd be about anywhere from 10 to 12. So time has passed and is passing. Now Jesus is born, right, in, in the city of Bethlehem. That comes from Micah 5's prophecy that the Savior would come from Bethlehem, Ephrathah, a town that was too little to be counted among the clans of Judah. The house of David, the lineage of David, to Joseph and to Mary. So Joseph, because of the census, had to go to where his family was from. And being of the line of David, that's where his family's from, David's town. So David had been raised in Bethlehem, and that's where he returned with his bride, uh, still bride-to-be, I suppose, his bride and their son. Now, oftentimes, this is right what we get in verse 5, who was with child. That, by the way, is a great phrase. So much better than what we use as expecting. Like, I'm expecting a child. You're not ex- well, I mean, you're expecting the birth, but you're not expecting a child. The child's already here. You are with child. It's a so much better phrase, an accurate, more accurate phrase of, of saying what the reality is, that that little one is here already. So they're with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. The normal Christmas story is depicted as Joseph walking while Mary, his bride, is on the donkey. There is no donkey in the scriptural narrative, so we don't know if they had a donkey to travel with or not. But she's on the donkey. She is very much so with child, right? The the pregnancy is almost near its end of term because as they're pulling into Jerusalem on their donkey, um, they're knocking on the door of the inn and there's no room for them but like she's about to give birth. Please have mercy on us. She's going to give birth right now. We need a place to stay. We can't give birth outside. That's kind of the picture that you get. That's not the picture scripture gives, right? At three months pregnant, she returned home. And then at some point from that time forward, Joseph takes her and they go down to Bethlehem. How long did they need to remain in the city of Bethlehem for the Roman census? I don't have an answer to that question, but let me phrase it to you this way. How long do you expect things to work when you rely on the government to get the job done? Do you expect it to be a quick process, or do you think it's going to take some time? Think of it in that light. This is the Roman government um, overseeing something hundreds of miles away from where they are headquartered at the time. So for them to have to be there for a few months... Not unreasonable. And it's a town where Joseph has family. So it's not hard for them to find a place to stay among family and to be able to stay there for a while, even if, even after the birth would occur. So don't picture it as a rush, right? Um, Don't picture the picture that we usually think of in that regard. Instead, they've come, and at some point, whether it's two weeks later, two months later, The time of the completion of the pregnancy has come upon her. She goes into labor. She gives birth. Jesus is born. They put him in a manger because there's no place for them in the Cataluma, which is actually used only one other time in Luke's gospel account, chapter 22, verse 11, where it gets translated as guest room. And then in the next verse, it's an upper room. Um, that they are shown. So that's where the disciples are sent ahead to look for the place to prepare the Passover for the, well, the fellowship of Jesus and his disciples. So 
This is not an inn like you and I think of a hotel or a motel kind of a thing. There's a different Greek word for that at the time. This is a guest room or an upper room. Uh, and so this is the picture is a family household, small household, has only a couple of rooms in it. And one of those is a family's living room. The other is the guest room. All the guest rooms in town are full because of the census. Town is overloaded. But it's not that they weren't welcomed somewhere. They were welcomed into somebody's home, likely, but then had to care for Jesus right there in the family's living room. So space was cramped, uh, not a lot of space in one room for, you know, multiple households. And so they laid him in a manger, which is a feeding trough designated for animals. For this picture, then, helpful to envision the house. When you walk in to the house, just a two-room house, that first room is divided into two parts. Right when you walk in is the space for animals to be brought in during the night so your livestock are not stolen and so that they help heat your home. So if you have a, a couple of animals, like a cow and a donkey, for example, or a couple of sheep and a donkey, you bring them in. Now, you would then have a couple of steps that would go up to your actual living room floor so that you weren't trampled in the middle of the night by these animals, your livestock. And in that floorboard, then, you would carve out a hole or two where you would place food for them, a manger, a feeding trough, in order that your animals don't wake you up in the middle of the night hungry, right? Can you imagine your sheep bawling in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. because they're hungry? Yeah, uh, parents know that feeling with little kids, but you don't want your animals doing that to you too. So you, you could fill the feeding trough, you could fill the manger, and if they were hungry in the middle of the night, they could just eat right there, and you wouldn't be bothered, you wouldn't be disturbed by it. That's a picture that is probably more accurate to what's going on here. Um, Kenneth Bailey, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, is a helpful text for that. Another one, though, that you might want to check out that would be of interest Search the internet for an article called The Birth of Jesus as Seen Through Middle Eastern Eyes. It was written in 2010 by Monty, M-O-N-T-E, Shelley, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y. That's a really helpful piece and could help unpack some of this stuff for you. All right, we'll come back to a little more detail on that in a minute. So the angels visit the shepherds out in the field, starting with one angel to proclaim this good news that a Savior has been born. We know these words. We've said these words ourselves many times in children programs and, and such as, as that. The Savior's come for all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And there to go. There to see the boy. The angels come together and sing, praising God, glory to God in the highest glory, um, to be lifted up, to be looked at. May this point everyone to God and to his salvation for them. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So peace, the end of war. Peace, the end of rebellion. Peace, the end of our sin against God. The angels go away. The shepherds go to Bethlehem to see what the angels have just told them about, which the Lord has made known. So they go with haste. They find Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and they tell them the good news that the angels have shared with them. And verse 18, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. All who heard it, who else is there? Your typical scene that's portrayed by nativity sets is that it's just Mary and Joseph in a manger um, out in a stable somewhere in the middle of nowhere and that they're all alone. Well, this would make more sense, right? This 
unto you is born this day. So the same day that Jesus has been born is the sound of it. The shepherds go to the house to see the child. For all who are there to hear it, now the family that has welcomed them into their home to stay in their living room, maybe the family that's staying in the guest room has heard the commotion and come over too, and you've got a crowd. You've got people gathered. This doesn't mean you don't still have a few livestock there because right there inside the house and it's night, so the animals would have been brought inside. Just a different picture. And this means that the Magi may have been there as well. The only details that help us time the Magi's arrival tend to be a couple of things. And these are Matthew 2 events, so not here, but that they came when Jesus was in, they found Jesus when he was in a house. But we've just ruled that out. And that they, you know, they told Herod about it and Herod ordered all the baby boys in Bethlehem under two years of age to be killed based on what the Magi had said. Herod is paranoid to the extreme, to the point where he's willing to kill, order his soldiers to go into a small town and kill all the baby boys. Do you really think if the Magi told Herod that the the baby was probably about two years old by now, that Herod would have said, okay, kill all the two-year-olds and under? He wouldn't have risked missing a -a two-and-a-half-year-old or a three-year-old kid. He would have bumped the age up. So I don't... I don't see that as one either. God could have placed that star in the sky plenty of time to lead the Magi to be there even on the day of his birth if he wanted to. Magi's a little tougher. We don't know just when they showed up, but the shepherds are there and there's others there as well. And they all are amazed and they wonder at what the shepherds have said. And Mary treasures these things and she ponders them with faith. Now the shepherds return, they give glory to God, they praise God, they give glory to God. That means they're, they're out telling other people. They're lifting up God. They're pointing others to see God and the gift that he has given. On the eighth day, Jesus is circumcised, as is the Old Testament law. Jesus welcomed into the family of the Lord, although he already was. But he's fulfilling our place. He's taking our place. He's doing everything that we ought to have done perfectly and failed to do perfectly. He's given the name Jesus. It's on the eighth day that that is when a child was named in that culture. Today, you have to give your child a name before they let you leave the hospital. (laughs) But um, eighth day was the timing. Then we get the section about the purification. This is Leviticus chapter 12, uh, the purification rite of the mother. And it varied if it was a boy or a girl that was born. Um, So the boy is a shorter time. The girl, the dates were twice as long. So instead of at 40 days, I think it was 80 days. Uh, I think it was exactly double as you look at that text. And it's actually the purification for the mother that is the focal point here. But Luke, for some reason, is, is encouraging us to continue to keep our eyes on Jesus rather than Mary as much, which is interesting. He says it's their purification rather than Mary's purification. Anyway, um... They offer the sacrifice. Every firstborn who opens the womb, every male who opens the womb, uh, holy to the Lord. That's Exodus 13, by the way, that you can read up on that. Their sacrifice, according to the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This has often led people to think Joseph and Mary were poor. Um, and this has even encouraged people to say that the Magi didn't come at this point yet because then Mary and Joseph would have had money right? They brought gold. They'd have had money to spend on a greater offering. 
But what if this is just a sign of the cheapening of the offerings over time, which certainly happened. I mean, read the book of Malachi and see the Lord rebuke them for how they treated the offerings. What if God said, here are your options. You can offer a male lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Or if you can't afford the lamb, you can offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. What if that was heard and people said, oh, we have a choice. Well, let's just offer the two turtle doves or let's just offer the two pigeons. Let's get by with as little as we can get by with. Now, this is not me accusing Joseph and Mary. This is me accusing a culture over the history of hundreds of years. Actually, well, 1,400 years. What if by this point, that's just like what everyone does. Everyone does the pair of birds. No one does the lamb. What if it doesn't actually signal to us their level of wealth in any way, shape, or form? It's something to consider, at least. Um, it is possible that it is there for the, a sign of their poverty, but not, maybe not necessary. Verse 25, Simeon is there present at that time, righteous and devout. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit had promised to him, revealed to him, he would not die before seeing the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. And so the Spirit actually brings him, verse 27, into the temple. He sees the child, he takes him in his arms, and he sings the Nunc Dimittis. I don't know if he sings it or not, he says it. Um, The Nunc Dimittis, now depart in Latin, is part of our worship together in the Lutheran Church. Uh, the Lutheran Service Book records this in Divine Service 1, 2, 3, and 4. Um, so if you know this one, sing it together. Let your servant depart in peace. In other words, Lord, it's time. Let me die. I'm ready. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to see you. Um, we sing this after having seen the Lord in the Lord's Supper, taken his body and blood. We have seen the Lord. My eyes have seen your salvation. Let me depart. And it's not just depart from the table, although it does say that, but depart. Lord, I'm ready to be with you. If, if this is the time, uh, take me home. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's, let's do this. Let's go to paradise. I'm ready. You have made me ready. You have equipped me with your own body and blood. Salvation is for all people, one of the main points of that nunc dimittis. All right, we're over time. So, um... They treasure these things. Then you get the prophetess, Anna, who's 84 years old. She tells everyone what she has seen, right? She speaks of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. Verses 39 and 40, as well as 52, talk about Jesus growing up. We saw that with John in chapter 1 and verse 80. So he's born and then he grows up. Jesus is born, then he grows up. Uh, We don't get a whole lot of their childhoods, much of anything of their childhoods, really. Um, verse 41 through verse 51 then is what we'll finish with. Uh, They're celebrating the Passover. Maybe talk about what the Passover is with your children. Remember the account of Exodus 12. If you don't remember it, go read that one together and then talk about it some more. They do this every year. That's uh, what the Jews do. They gather in Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover for a whole week. And they've been doing it every year. Now Jesus is 12 and they go and they leave Jesus behind. How could they not know while they traveled in groups? You didn't make that trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem by yourself. Um, It wasn't a a very safe trip. And so you traveled in a large group for safety, protection from bandits and such. So they're with family, a large family group. And they thought he was just with one of the other relatives or walking with, you know, the cousins or something. He's not there. And they realize it after some time. 
Three days later, they find him in Jerusalem, in the temple, amazing people with his understanding already of God's word and their, their conversations together. Mary reveals to him, you know, says to him, why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Not trusting in God there. I mean, distressed about the situation. And they don't recognize what he even says. He says, why were you looking for me? Did, did you not know I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Mary and Joseph are the children of God, and they get to care for the Son of God himself. But they are still people. They're still male and female. They're still sinners like you and me. And they didn't always understand everything. They had their great moments of faith in life, and they had their moments where they struggled with such. And they couldn't even recognize here that this was God's house, that this was God's son. They couldn't put that simple equation together at that time. So we're thankful. I mean, everything points to, at the end, Mary having faith in Jesus and in the resurrection. We don't know much more about Joseph because this is the last we see of Joseph in all of Scripture. All right, so that's it for the day. Tomorrow we talk about, well, we talk about Jesus as a man, grown up. His childhood has come to an end. Let us praise the Word incarnate, Christ who suffered in our place. Jesus died.